Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Here's what I know about Giannis Papas. He's a native New Yorker. He's gotten shot. He's a sneakerhead. He's Greek. In fact, so Greek, he has performed in character as Mr. Panos, which is not to be confused with when he performs as a Puerto Rican transsexual named Morisa. Papas moved to Miami to help launch the Fusion Cable Network as co-anchor of the TV station's live primetime news program, then moved back to New York City a year later, where he hosted the AOL original series, Two Point Lead. He filmed a half hour for Comedy Central in 2014, and his first stand-up comedy CD, Let Me Be Giannis, is out now. Who is Giannis, though? And how much of Mr. Panos and Morisa is still inside of him? I tried to find out. So let's get to it! So, Giannis Papas, thanks for being on Last Things First. Thank you. This was a, a few-part process. Yes. Yeah, I showed up here last week. You know, I just wanted to scope out the joint. <laughs> Do a little <laughs> recon mission. Wanted to be here without you, see the whole studio. Mm. So you're prepared. I'm prepared, yeah. All I right. was prepared for this nice air conditioning. <laughs> so I uh, I just re-listened to Let Me Be Giannis, your new stand-up comedy Re-listened CD. to it. Yes. That's either a good thing, meaning you enjoyed it the first time, or... To go in there and get like specific with the critiques. <laughs> <laughs> whatever some, whatever someone gives it a, a second listen, that's like, all right. Let me so go, let me get in there. Well, uh, so last things first is, does this mean that this is the last we've heard of uh, Mr. Panos and Marisa? No, I mean I still got to make money. You know, it was just um, it was a pun. I mean, obviously the title's a pun. Yeah. You know, I'm doing stand up. Most people know me. As a character, not most people. So I'm, I'm making it sound like the world. You know, the world knows me. Now, the 45 people who know anything about my career know the characters first and me second. Kind of that's. Well, more people than that listen to or watch Fusion. <laughs> I think it was about 37. Or, or yeah. have the AOL title up discs. That was about 15 or 16 people. So I'm so. almost at 100, <laughs> which is pretty good because that's three digits. So, um, yeah, no, it was just a way to say sort of, you know, um, you know, I'm a stand up, uh, you know, I've been, I, I've been doing shows with the characters for four or five years and I draw in certain cities, you know, pretty well, uh, because of the characters, people right. want to see them. So I, I do them live and I've developed this show with Angelo Lozada where we do, you know, the characters and I do stand up all together and it's a fun little show. So this was just my first stand up album. I did the half hour Comedy Central. Um, half hour, but this is the first album. Right. So I said, let me be honest, it's a good title. I ran, ran it by my buddy Nate, and uh, he thought it was a perfect title for my first album. So since he's doing so good in the business, I just listen to whatever he says. What was <laughs> <laughs> what was the first voice you heard as a, as a comedian? The first, what do you mean? Like when you, when you first thought of yourself, oh, I could, I could be a comedian on stage – was the first voice in your head, was that you or was that a character? No, um, well, all the world's the stage, Sean. I mean, <laughs> so who am I, really? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Uh, dude, I've been watching this. I just finished watching the Made in America, the OJ thing. Yeah, just, the ESPN yeah, one. Yeah, it just feels like a fucking drama. It just feels like um, so, there's like a puppet, like pulling, like making that a story, you know? It's right. like, but it, there's no script, but it's weird. But anyway, um, well, no, I, I, 
I think I'm, well, I'm drawing Shakespeare this, was honest. I think I'm drawing the same line you are because with O.J. Simpson, I mean, I was alive for all of that and I thought I knew everything, but then watching the documentary, I realized how much of the story w- wasn't played out in public. Yeah, it was at like a Shakespearean level drama with Marcus Allen and the affairs and yeah, I mean, it was like, it's like a, Othel- I mean, it's like a, a Othello or, or Henry the, what was the other one he wrote? Uh, Shakespeare, uh, was it? Henry, no, Henry, the, the one about the king. Oh. Where the king falls. I mean, he's it's got a, a few of them, Richard. He's got a few, thing? yeah, Richard the second or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, it was an epic fall mm-hmm. from like, and, um, and it was a drama. But anyway, I was. Do you a- look at your own life as a Shakespearean? Of course. <laughs> We're all. Comedy, we're, tragedy? It's, it, you know, it's, it all, all of us, that's what awaits. I'm, I'm getting an intimate look at what the end looks like right now because my parents are, are very old. They had me late in life and I'm, it's ugly for us all. I mean, if you're lucky, maybe like you have a brain aneurysm at like 75. Right. And you check out quick like John Ritter. He left too early, but I mean, nobody wants to really get old. Getting old is just for the birds. Yeah. Right? You mentioned your uncle just died. My uncle just how, died. How old was he? 92. Okay. So that's a, that's a good Yeah, but he. Piece. The quality of his life um, was very bad for like the last six, seven. So it's like, right. you know. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. But to answer your question, the first voice was always me. Like I I was class clown. I, I got kicked out of a few schools. Not because I was a bad kid, like, like you know, a criminal kind of. Mm-hmm. I was just uncontrollable in class. Like I just love making people laugh. And so I was always it, class clown. In Brooklyn? In- I went to school in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Okay. Yeah. Public or private? Both. Okay. I went to both. I ended at York Prep. Our our most famous alumni. We have two. Robert Chambers. <laughs> the preppy murderer. The preppy murderer. Mm-hmm. York Prep. And Liv Tyler. So okay. those are two. I think she didn't finish, though. Mm. She got famous first. You finished. I finished. You just barely. Just barely. I really just barely finished. When you so when you graduated, what did you what did you foresee well, back then? What did you what what was adult Giannis going to be like? I uh, My parents are lawyers, and my brother's a lawyer, mm-hmm. so I knew I wasn't going to be a lawyer. Um, but I went to school in D.C., the American University. My brother was out there. He worked for the Clinton administration at the time, um, and then the Obama administration. But at the time, it was Clinton. I wanted to get into government because I always kind of looked up to him, so... There was a while I thought I was going to be a Secret Service agent or something. something so exciting. going to college in D.C. really kind of accelerates that that plan. Either I mean, what else? Are you it either do? fuels it or it or it disabuses you of that dream. Yeah, yeah, one of the two. Otherwise, what are you doing in D.C.? That's right. It's so it's it's like L.A. in that way that it's a one industry town. You know, it's like everyone you know has a business card, and that's the most important thing: the title on their business card. It's like first assistant special. Op assistant, vice of to the first assistant of the Secretary of State. How far did you pursue pursue your own dream of being in the Beltway? <laughs> not not very much. I worked for a lobby group my freshman year in the summer. I interned there, um, and then that was it. That was as far as I got. I majored in history, and that was it. <laughs> then I then I graduated, came back to New York, and uh, started doing comedy shortly after that. Okay, yeah. how did you decide? To do to pursue comedy, I uh, the only thing I was ever decent at making people laugh. You know, is the only thing that um, I was. I'm bad at everything else. Literally every. There's nothing. I've kind of become pretty good, like with dogs, because mm-hmm. I, I that became a passion of mine when I had dogs. So I'm kind of I've noticed that because I'm like 
helping train my buddy Paul Verzi's dog. But other than that, I have no skills. Like I'm pretty good at the video game Sniper right now. <laughs> like I'm top 125 in the world. Like you know you're good when you look around and all you see is Asian letter names. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in between like four on either side Asian names. There is or there has been a, a money circuit for playing video games. Yeah. It's Did getting you? huge actually. It's it's actually more people watch it than actual sports. Well the the biggest YouTube stars PewDiePie is that's just a, a guy from like Scandinavia who you watch like, him playing video games. It's crazy. And yeah. he's got tens of millions of YouTube subscribers yeah. and a in a TV deal out of it. That is surreal that people are watching people watch the game that they're playing so that could have been you <laughs> it could have been me man in sniper I'm, I'm 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 pretty good at that right now but instead you thought you could translate class clown into stage clown that's it that's all i've ever done did you how did you seek out your first mic or did you take a class what i took did, a class you? steve rosenfield american comedy institute yeah where's the american comedy institute it's um i think is it here in new york it's nomadic i think it roams <laughs> i don't know if he has ACI? like a, the ac is that the ACI? aci yeah i did that do they have uh, ads they they were in, they they advertised in the voice and I was walking okay. home late one night and I opened the voice and I was like let me give this a try I was like I don't even know what I graduated I was working I was like a assistant to like a CEO of some like mm -hmm. borderline real company it was an ad remember when you used to answer ads in the paper to get a job yeah. so I answered an ad in the paper and then I was the assistant to a CEO and then I started working in nightclubs and I was like let me give this a try so I took the class did five minutes and then kept going. Where was the graduation for that class? Caroline's. Oh, nice. Yeah. Caroline. You had to bring all your friends and family. And uh, in, in retrospect, that's why it went so well. Right. I thought, it's, a, it's a bringer. It, yeah. <laughs> I thought this is what comedy is. I'm just <laughs> fucking, I crush. You have the most supportive crowd possible. Yeah. And I thought five minutes. I was like, I'm ready. I got five minutes. I, I didn't even know what that meant. I just was like, I did it. Mm -hmm. I'm on stage. It's actually, looking back retrospectively, it's actually hilarious to think. The, the just the naivete going in that you just have no idea what the, what a career is. I didn't know stand up. I probably would have started earlier if I had known that it was an actual career. <laughs> right. I didn't know. I used to think like Eddie Murphy. I thought he did his comedy because he was an actor and he was like, I'm just gonna go on stage and do my, do a play, or like Robin Williams. I had no idea there was like comedy clubs and like a whole profession. Even growing up in New York City. Even growing up, man. I mean, I just didn't know. Yeah. I mean, remember back then, this, you don't see comedy on TV. You never saw it. On, there was no internet. Right. It was just the only thing I knew. The only thing most people knew was uh, Eddie Murphy, Raw and Delirious. And it was because it came out in the movie theater. You know? And no, if you, I didn't even know Robin Williams was a stand-up. Really? Yeah. I didn't. No idea. You know that now. Though. I know that now. I mean, there's a lot of shit I didn't know considering I grew up. I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't know how to like finger girls properly till mm. I was like 35. Really? There's a lot of, yeah. The internet, these kids don't know how good they got it now. <laughs> I mean, things used to take like 15, 20 years to learn. Yeah, you, now you couldn't just, just Google it or ask you Siri. Couldn't. You had to go to a fucking library and pull out like a whole thing. There was no books on fingering. What you know? happens if you ask Siri about fingering? Let's try it. <laughs> Siri, how do you finger correctly? Give me a moment. Uh, okay, I found this on the web for how do you finger correctly. <laughs> Wait, was it was it a legitimate answer or oh, was yeah. it a different definition? No, just a whole list of probably porn. That's what came up. So yeah, no, if you um if you're coming of age in the in the 90s, not only do you not have YouTube and Google 
to guide you, but you're also just after the boom of the 80s. So yeah. you've missed that whole wave of of getting swept up in comedy. Totally. It was a weird... I grew up in a weird generation. You know, I'm 40 now, so it was like... I went to college from 94 to 98 or 90, 94 to 98, and um, like p- computers were just starting. Yeah. There was like a computer lab when I was going to school, and there was like... 10 kids who had compact presarios and that was it i had a word processor so it's kind of yeah we were right like a little before both you know mm-hmm. like we were right in the middle so after that that uh graduation show at caroline's where you kill and you don't realize it's because it's all your family and friends cheering your every word how long did it take you before you got up and realized what the real deal was man i was so bad for so long um, I quit for a f- couple years. I-, I pretty much stopped for about uh, like 2002 to 2005, like two and a half years. Was that before or after you were shot? That was after. Yeah. Okay. That was a weird time. Um, but uh, Were I- you doing comedy at the time you yeah. got shot? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, not... Yeah, <laughs> not during the shooting. You weren't, you weren't <laughs> telling a, I don't a think joke, like, and then the guy got. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to do it again after, if that happened. <laughs> that would have been too traumatizing. But um, yeah, I was doing it. I was actually like two days after I got back from doing my first college that Jason Steinberg sent me out to. It was Northeastern University. How'd you get hooked up with him? I don't remember. I don't. Re- I guess. But you were still pretty new. I was way new. This was. And you got representation way in bookings. He, yeah, he wasn't like officially representing me mm-hmm. like yet, but he sent me. Is that hip pocketing? Is that what they call I it? Yes. Yeah, I didn't at the time. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Is that the jargon? All right. <laughs> he sent me uh I opened for Tony Woods at Mohegan Sun. Okay. Um that was the first person I opened for. I just I just pretty much technically I guess opened for him even though it's more like a in Aruba, you know, you a couple comics go down there to Ray Allen's and that was fun. We made a joke that we'll get together every 15 years or so <laughs> cuz I really haven't seen him that much since. But Wait, uh, so hold on, back up a second. Uh-huh. So <laughs> You're in comedy how long and you're performing at Mohegan Sun? It was about months. It was months. <laughs> in your first year of stand-up comedy. Yeah, my definitely was You're opening my... for Tony Woods yeah. at Mohegan Sun. Yeah, and I was horrible. You can ask Did him. you know you were horrible or? Yeah, I mean, okay. you, there's like an... Because new comics sometimes suffer from a delusion of thinking they're much better. Which helps And them, they're ready for more than they should. I think nowadays that helps. Because yeah. I don't think the, the industry, yeah, the industry can't really tell. They're not the ego. Yeah, because they, what comedians have found out, what everyone's figured out, not everyone, but a lot of young kids have figured out, is like, you just sell it, <laughs> you know, because they're not really listening to your jokes or getting in, like a guy like you who listens to technique and and punch. They just want to see like, is this guy kind of does he represent like a, a coveted demographic is he a good looking guy can he be in this can is can he act can we teach right. him are you marketable yeah you're marketable you know and that's no knock on them i mean it's a business right. it should you know so um yeah no i was aware yeah i was aware. <laughs> too aware too so aware. what was that gig at mohegan sun like i was running around the stage like my friends my, my friend of mine who i grew up with mm-hmm. uh drove us up there i was like talking to them in the audience i was like <laughs> running around I was running around. I just remember running around the stage and just thinking, like, how do you? I didn't know how to do at that much time. Mm-hmm. It was like it felt like fucking forever. It was twenty minutes, and like I had five minutes of bad material. <laughs> it was brutal. Did Tony say anything to you? Tony was super nice, man. One of the nicest guys in this business, man. And uh, still to this day, he was just super nice, very yeah. supportive and nice. He said some nice stuff, you know, um, like you know. 
um, that I was good or whatever, even though I was really bad. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, he he acknowledges that now. We laughed about it. You know, he was. But, like, you, but you still kept getting work after that. No. Well, oh, I got no. shot. I got. Right. I did. Um, the only that was the only two paid gigs I got was that and then Northeastern. And then I got shot um, a couple days after Northeastern. OK. Yeah. And I know you've talked about this on video and gigs, mm-hmm. um, but the the shooting took place just because you were part of the also part of the nightclub industry. Yeah, buddy, man. And, yeah, and uh, just after one night at the club. Yep, it was. Uh, yeah, my buddy was a party promoter, so I was with him, and I don't think I was the intended target unless the fucking robber had the lowest standards. He was like, "Let me get this guy's hundred bucks." When he's walking with a guy who's carrying thousands of dollars in cash, so <laughs> I don't well, no, the way you tell the story, it's more that you were just kind of accidentally caught up in it because yeah, that well, that he yeah, was, I was joking. Yeah, I was there. He was there to rob and carjack my friend. Yeah, you know, he obviously knew that he carried a lot of cash in his pocket and um, probably wanted the car too. He, uh, from what I understand, the kid lived in Jersey or whatever. This is right by the Holland tu- uh, the tunnel, so mm-hmm. he's probably figuring, boom. Go take the car, money, and just go and just straight through Jersey. He's actually pretty smart, you know? But I fucked it up for him. <laughs> <laughs> With my leg and ass cheek. <laughs> how how long were you out of commission physically? Because you just got a week. Because uh, it wasn't a critical. No, missed the main artery, um, which I guess is the biggest danger of it when you get shot in that area. I got shot like right in the groin here. And it traveled up, lodged itself in my butt cheek. So that was what they were searching for. You know, like if it hit an artery, it didn't. Mm-hmm. So I it was I couldn't sit down or like when I went to the bathroom, I had to like hold myself up like women do in public. I had to try to hover. And um, for about a week or two, and then um, I had I, – I remember Steinberg was doing an audition at Saturday Night uh, – at Stand Up New York for Saturday Night Live. Um, and he had me in it. And um, it was uh, that was the year Dean Edwards got it. Okay, and uh, I bombed so bad. Like I just something was different. Like I wasn't. It, it just the whole thing just crashed. Everything. Were you on crutches or no? I was I was limping kind of mm-hmm. gingerly. It was all ginger. I wanted you know when you I it, I just remember how hungry I was back then. Like you know you're young and you're just ambitious and you it's so fun and you know the prospect of this being a career started to. You know, I started when, when you get paid the first time, you it's like magical. You're like this. This feels like something's wrong. You're like, are you kidding me? Right. You're getting away with something. Yeah. Like you get. I was like, dude, I got kicked out of school for this. Like my teachers told me not to do this. And now I'm getting money for it. There's no heavy lifting. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's a, it's the There's biggest no sitting con. in front of a it's crazy computer crunching numbers. If they knew, I mean, if they literally knew that we would do it for that, we do do it for free a lot. I mean, I don't know how. Well, there are plenty of people in the industry who <laughs> figure that <laughs> they out. They figured it out, yeah. I mean, um, no, I'm kidding. I mean, pay us, everyone. So what? So what made you hit the hit the pause stop button for a couple of years? I it was I just couldn't do it. I was it just I don't know. It was a weird. Th- Physi- was it physically or was no, it emotionally? It was Psycholog- emotionally, psychologically. It's not physically. I was two weeks. I was I was okay. You know, okay. two three three weeks that it healed. You know, it was just a bullet wound. Um, it was, uh, psychologically and emotionally, it was just hard to explain. Like I just didn't feel, uh, it didn't feel like a, a right. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I lost all, uh, compulsion to want to pursue it or do it. And I have I, I can't really explain why other than the fact that 
it just changed me so radically. It was like right. a paradigm shift, and I was just a new person, and uh, I was crushed. I didn't. I remember the thing that like, I guess I'm kind of obsessive and a little crazy, like most comedians are. Sure. Um, so I just couldn't get over the fact that like you can die early. Like what? Like what's the point? What do we? Why would I try to accomplish something? So I guess I got ultra cynical. I don't know. I needed to learn. Right. I needed to. I don't know. I just felt like an incomplete human being. And right, it's like the reverse of having six or seven extra years and going to ninety-two. Yeah, like your uncle. It's like, well, what happens if everything stops at thirty-two? Yeah, you're like, or what's twenty-seven? I mean, it was extreme. I was extremely nihilistic at that at that time for a little while. Just like I didn't understand what the point of anything was. You know, if it could just be like just taken from you, so beyond your control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a weird thing. So what did you decide to do? I uh, I, di- I had to get a job. Um, I was always interested in like social work. This opportunity came up. I always liked help. My I come from that family. My mother worked for the United Nations. Okay, you know she she was a human rights attorney. You know Halloween, I had to go around like giving out. You know Christmas, it was the Christmas cards were mm-hmm. from Unitar, and you, it was just everything was always that. Halloween, they had Unicef. No, they had the Unicef fucking yeah. coin thing. So yeah, I never I had, had candy. Yeah, I went around. Yeah. yeah, I went around with that. Yeah, so. It was kind of in my nurturing, so mm-hmm. I was always intrigued by it, and um, so I st- an opportunity came up to do um, disaster relief for 9-11, because so, this was uh, 2006 months after 9-11, okay. beginning of 2002. So I did it. And so I, that really is a paradigm shift. Yeah, 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 and that was, um, wow, that was, wow, that was reality in the face. That was like... Right, it, that's like, well, what am I doing with my life? I'm... Helping people who have no idea what they're doing with their Dude, life. Dude, it was it, now. I just hit me. I was. I haven't really even like thought about. It was just. It just hit me how. It was like I was. I got confronted with the harshness of reality when I got shot, and then if that was like a just like a jab, mm-hmm. you know, like just a, like a, a boxer jabbing you, then it was like nine eleven disaster. was like a Mike Tyson hook. It was just like I was sitting in a room. I just start. They throw you in there. You're a caseworker. They throw you in, and then you have clients. And these clients are like, they they have dead friends and family members that yeah. just died a couple months ago in exactly the type of situation that I went through, but I, I, obviously more extreme in that they lost the people. Yeah. So they're going through that sort of same thing I'm going through. Like, what the? F-? They they just got you know. Hit by a two by four out of nowhere. Yeah, you know? everything's upside down and, it's, it just or vanished. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like it just, and so I'm in this position. I started having these massive panic attacks. Uh, what they call what is it? Counter counter transference. I think they call it in the social work field, where you start taking on like the actual. It's like uh, extreme empathy. Yes, I started having symptoms of the counter transference, where I would go home and I couldn't sleep. I thought I was had heart problems because like. My I, my heart would just be racing, and you're I, just soaking all this stuff up yeah, from these people. Yeah, just tragedy, just immersion. Soaking their loss, their loss, and then also like feeling the responsibility as their caseworker. Like I got to get this person a home. I got to get mm-hmm. them. At the time, it was like we lobbied to FEMA for mortgage rental assistance in this program called MRA. I got to take them to the unmet needs table. There was like a an unmet needs table where all the charities collectively came together, and like you would present a case. And based on the case's needs and how you advocated, they would give you the money based on the need of the client. So that was what my job was. Like it was a pretty interesting and intense job. Um, but you took it home. I was too young. I didn't know how to turn it. I wasn't jaded enough yet to be able to turn it off. 
So I, cu- I couldn't do comedy. I mean, it was just right. Like, take it you you didn't even have like the gallows humor. Nothing yeah. to it that some first responders might have. Exactly. Had. I was just a kid and I was drinking a lot, so that's what that was. Yeah. So how long were you able to do that before you had to? Two thousand and five. I remember around then, uh, my old writing partner. Oh, I did sketch comedy. Um, for the year, like before I started stand up in that program, the mm-hmm. uh, American Comedy Institute, they did this uh, one year program with Humber out of Toronto. Okay. And I did that program for the year. And I started doing sketch comedy and formed a sketch group. How did, you, how did you find out about that program? Through the American Comedy Institute. Okay. They were affiliated. It was only one year they did it, and that was the year I did it. But you were still paying attention to the ACI. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had a sketch group and. Um, and uh, we did sketches and stuff. And my buddy, who was my writing partner, for this, we wrote all the sketches together. Mm-hmm. He was one of the head producers at Best Week Ever, Matt Pearl. Oh, okay. So he was like, you want to you wanna come on and do this Best Week Ever thing? And so I did like a couple episodes of that. I was terrible at that. I couldn't stop. Being a talking head or Dude, being, yeah, being or a talking writing, head? Okay. It was, it, to have me as a talking head. And I remember I couldn't stop sweating. Like I was just <laughs> so – I would sweat a lot during that time. I'd have these uncon- – I guess that's a symptom of – Anxiety attacks where you would just profusively sweat. Your nervous system just goes wackadoo, you know. And you just couldn't talk about. Uh, I just wasn't funny, dude. I just wasn't a funny guy. Chocolate I mean, rain or yeah, whatever, yeah, the, the, whatever the flavor of the week was. The OC at the time was. <laughs> they made me watch OC, and I just I, it was just like it wasn't me. Yeah. But did the did the Humber stuff? Did all that sketch? Is that how Ditch Films? Yes, started? that's how we started. Because that was one of the first things when I moved to New York in two thousand seven, or maybe even before I moved. Here I was getting emails or links oh, to your videos. I got you on the list somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was spamming you. <laughs> no, because I remember it, you know there I, there's a there was a group in Chicago, Blurreds, that did some short video work with standups, but there weren't a lot of people doing this. Yeah, no, we were early too. We started filming that stuff in like 2002, 2003, um, with the sketch group, with guys from the sketch group. You know, we did like three or four live shows, and then we started. The technology came out, I think, around 2001, that first Canon. Mm-hmm. And we started shooting with that first Canon, 2002, 2003, something like that. So we were early, yeah. We were real early in that. I didn't stick with anything. That's the weird, like, we should have stuck with that more. And then even when I think about the podcast me and Nate had with, with Chris Laker, mm-hmm. we were we were doing that you know, 2009 or eight or <laughs> something like that. We should have stuck with it and done it regularly. I had no idea they were going to get big. <laughs> <laughs> I... I take it was that the same kind of um, dude. My career is foolish, foolish luck with uh, Marisa. Marisa, um, Marisa, yeah. I mean, I guess you can call it luck in the sense that it caught on and people really liked it. But I definitely knew it was funny because mm-hmm. I did it live for so long. You know, it was right. like I was doing it in my standup, and it would the response was like very effusive. I mean, people were going ballistic. I remember one night in New York Comedy Club. I had to stretch because I was hosting and they were, Sherrod was running late. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was like, let me work on this character. I've been doing it on stage for a while, especially at the, my sh- Bar 4 show where I would just go with it and just riff with it. And so uh, I did it at the club in New York Comedy Club. And you know when that room is packed and hitting? That room like fucking shakes. I mean that room is like when 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 comedy catches fire in that room, it's like – it's on fire. And so she was just crushing, and we actually shot it the next day. I actually texted my buddy 
right then and there at the bar mm-hmm. at New York Comic. I was like, we need to shoot this tomorrow, like because I felt like it was fresh in my head and like I knew the whole story and I had just finally worked out everything of who she was. So I kind of knew it was funny, but I had right. no, I had, of course I had no idea that you know it was uh, it was going to get popular. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that a Greek kid from Brooklyn would be popular as a Puerto Rican transgender? You know, I was, that's what I was just thinking about. Like, so many of the things I've done in my career were were like early. Like, I, I was part of a launch of a network. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's right a, fusion. Yeah, that was a whole launch of a huge, massive network. Yeah, brand new cable channel. Brand new cable channel with many millions of dollars yeah. behind it, and the newsport, the building they built down there for it. They poured way too much money into what it has become or what it was supposed to be. They really put a lot of money into that. Well, they've got a new infusion into comedy over there with the Chris Gethard show. And yeah. And doing, doing the Trump, Trump versus Bernie stuff. Yeah, they're doing um, – they'll figure it out. I feel like Univision kind of was smart in the sense that they kind of used ABC to – to help launch this with Disney money, right? And uh, and then I guess a, a, you know ABC's pulling out, and Univision now has an English speaking arm. <laughs> it's perfect. Where were you at in your life and career when when Fusion approached you and said, "Wow, hey, we want you to come to Miami and be on TV as part of a news program." That was another. I would say after getting shot, that was like the biggest. That was the second biggest like dark place. Was uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. We were living together uh, two and a half years. We had three dogs together. Yeah, I saw you two and the dogs on a on, a sh- on another show, J- Justin Silver's show. Yeah, and um, the dog was no, yeah. it wasn't the dog whisperer. Whatever it was, one it wanted to be the dog yeah. whisperer. Um, and because um, you know, dog every that was big at that time. Yeah. He was huge, Caesar, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so yeah, we broke up. We broke up right, like. I got the offer mm-hmm. and I turned it down. So I turned it down because I was in this relationship. I'm like, I'm not moving to Miami, you know. It was uh it was flattering and I was like, this this sounded cool. Part of me was intrigued, like to be a host of a television show, move to Miami. But I was I loved her, you know, I was and I chose her. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna stay in New York and be with her. I'm gonna marry this girl. And um she uh she was on Girl Code, the show Girl Code. Yeah, yeah. And um she started out of nowhere, she just started like it just got huge quick. I remember she did one like one nighter in uh upstate New York somewhere. Right. And uh at some tiny little bar, right? And she was bartending at the time, you know. Um and um she texted me or called me or whatever, and she's like, It was so weird, it was crazy. She was like it was packed and like they would, people couldn't get in, like, you know, cause they found out she was going to be there. Right. And then it just started like. No, they said, they started sending Jessamay and, and Carly and people all across the country as headliners. Yeah. <laughs> Straight like, out of girl code. Yeah, right on. So that happened. So she had a whole life she needed to go live. And, uh, you know, being with me was holding her back from that. So, um, you know, she, she broke up with me. And uh, I, w- I went to Edinburgh, which was also a mistake at that time. <laughs> a huge mistake. For the Fringe. You didn't fringe. just go for a vacation. You went just, for the Edinburgh yeah. Fringe I Festival. Know, I didn't go over there great on uh, <laughs> nuclear fallout weather. Um, I was yeah, I was there for the Fringe, and it was just a goddamn tragedy. What show did you take I there? did my – I was like a one-man show that I kind of worked on a little bit. But it was basically stand-up, you know, mm-hmm. that I kind of just tried to – you know, pull together. Okay. I, mean, I wasn't in that much of a creative mood at that time. 
So uh, the shows were right, but there was no people coming to them. You know, it was just like three, four people. Where I mean, were I, you? Where were you booked? Uh, it was assembly and uh, some venue. You know, uh, they had me listed at one venue mm -hmm. in the book, and then they changed the venue. Uh -huh. So people, it wasn't, and it probably wasn't like that many people were looking for me anyway. But right. if anyone was gonna find that show, they would go into another venue. And what time of day? It was uh, early evening, like seven or okay. something. Yeah, it wasn't so it wasn't like a three o'clock. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, it was three people. I mean, they canceled one show. I got a review from a, you know, a 21 year old girl and she gave me three stars, which isn't bad. No. But then the review was like putrid, you know, and I the show was for three fucking people mm -hmm. and it actually so I, one star per person. Yeah. It was like literally <laughs> one star per person. And I remember the show like feeling good and people mm -hmm. really laughing and she admits that in the review, but she just gave her opinion and she was one of these like 21 year old fucking millennials who mm -hmm. was like offended by everything and she just laid into me. So I'm like, why am I going to expose myself to get, first of all, you, can you review a show where there's two, a comedy show is two people? She should have given me eight stars for doing the show. <laughs> Shoot, like, I can't believe he, he, bonus he stars did it. Yeah, just for showing up. I mean, this show should have been canceled. So then I got another review, which I got a good review. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I left. Was that from an eighteen-year-old girl? No, it was from like one of the, one of those guys that everyone wants. You know, there's like a few of them that everyone's okay. like, "This guy's coming" or whatever. Mm. That festival's fucking ridiculous. So you come back from Edinburgh, and how did you get back? I in left Edinburgh, so I left early. Okay. I was rooming with Shane Moss, and um, God, I probably made his time miserable. I was just complaining, and I, I think was he heartbroken. He didn't have a happy. He had a either. tough go too. I mean, he had a. In, even if I wouldn't have been there, he would have had a tough go. His show was not well attended, mm -hmm. and he got a bad review or two, and, and we were both like just kind of commiserating on like, what the fuck is this? You know, you really got to go there with like a lot of heat and like a big publicist behind you, and. You know, that's what that's about. That's okay. what that festival's about. It's it's less a comedy festival and more like a reviewers festival. I feel mm. like the shows are there for like people to practice reviewing. There's so many reviews and the stars are so inflated. People just throwing stars in their mm -hmm. posters. So I left. I just cut out. I just left. Okay. I just bailed. I got on a plane and just left. And uh, I actually called the CEO of um, the acting CEO at the time of Fusion. And um, I just called and was like, hey, is that – you remember that job I turned down? <laughs> Are you guys still – they were like, well, yeah, we were moving forward without you, but, you know, we'd love to – we'd still talk. So um, it the job was still there. And I huh. went down. You were able to – Yeah, I was able to somehow <laughs> fucking get back make in. Make that there. happen. Make it happen. I went down there, did the chemistry read. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, they were, they were auditioning other hosts. So there was a bunch of chemistry reads and audition. I did really well. Um, I think I, I just hosted a show with Chris D, The Bracket, mm -hmm. and that was the first TV show I hosted. So I kind of learned how to do the three camera thing. So I was really, I had some experience when I was in the studio with the three cameras and reading off prompter, which helped. And I did pretty good. And then they offered me, and I was just off to Miami. And I had to figure out a place for my dogs and just uplift my life. My mother has Alzheimer's. We got a, I was like taking care of her. So we got like a woman, a Greek woman to like come in and start taking care of her. And it, it was just, it was like the whole thing was like a fog. I don't, I had to find a house. I had to find a car. I had to just uplift my life and just move. And I did it. And it was crazy. Yeah. And you talk about, you don't talk about fusion or the job so much, but you talk about Miami on the desk. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah. A couple. <laughs> Miami. 
yeah, it's just one joke about like there's no real reason to go to Latin America. Like why? Like if you want to experience any country's culture, just go to Miami. There are enclaves there that are just like the countries there, except you don't have to worry about getting kidnapped or getting robbed at dinner. Yeah. yeah. It's it's great. I mean, Doral, Florida, where the studio is, is Venezuela. They call it Little Venezuela. Most people don't even speak English there. Hmm. And it's awesome. The food is awesome. I learned about Peruvian food, which I didn't even know was like a cuisine. And it's awesome. Ceviche is not just like an appetizer at a Mexican restaurant. It is like a whole – that's Peruvian food. Is like ceviche and like all types of different ceviche. Peruvian food is so underrated, it is crazy. So I had, I learned, I was just immersed in this Latin culture and it was just a great experience all around. But you only stayed a year. Stayed or less one year. I had a mutual option in my contract that I fought hard for. That was like mm-hmm. the one condition I wanted because I kind of knew I didn't want to stay in Miami, you know? Um, I, I wanted to keep, you know, progressing as a stand up primarily. And I wanted to be able to do spots during the week. You can't really do that. In Miami, and so yeah, that, what what could you do for your comedy while you were there? There's a couple rooms. This guy Daniel Reskin uh, runs a couple rooms down there. There's a few rooms. The Comedy Inn. Um, I did the improv. You know, I do weekends down there. I do okay. the West Palm, and um, the improv closed while I was down there. So um, I think I did one weekend at the improv when I was down there in Miami, but then it closed, and um, that was it. I did the road a lot that year, and I would come up to New York a lot of weekends and do spots. So. You know, because it's so close, two and a half hours, you hop on a plane, boo. So Friday, I would hop on a plane right after the show and come back on Monday morning at 6 a.m. or whatever and go right to the studio. And, and be what, at the creek or the stand? Or? Or stand, Mostly the stand, but anywhere, yeah. I'd book a b- bunch of spots and do a couple of shows a like, night. Hey, Giannis is back in town. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I remember Vecchione said to me, he's like, because uh, everyone said, like, goodbye to me. And then, like, <laughs> I was there. Right. Yeah, I was there, like, a lot. <laughs> so it was. And then you come back a year later. Uh-huh. Did you would did you feel like you had a different purpose, career wise, when you came back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the like I said, it was the stand up. I wanted, I just wanted to get better as a stand up. I wanted to just focus on that. So I just went tunnel vision into spots, and I was just okay. doing spots, and that's what I was doing. Um, and uh, I started doing some character stuff again. Had to make some money. You know, so, uh, you know, a couple of places I draw real big. I really wanted to get some character stuff out there mm-hmm. and keep those characters alive. Panos and Maurice, so I did videos with yeah. both of them. Had like a little uh, creative spurt. And then I wrote on Rachel's pilot. So immediately I kind of went right back into a day job. I had like a few months where I was just doing spots. But then Rachel's pilot was a couple months for Comedy Central, the mm-hmm. first one. She had two pilots. and um, Rachel Feinstein. Rachel Feinstein, yeah. And then, um, and then I met Joel Solomon on Rachel Feinstein's pilot, and we clicked, and he was the head writer at AOL, and he was starting that, and he asked me to come audition to host that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I had that camera experience that I think that helped, you know, it kind of led to it. Like, I was, could read off a prompter, and we went in the studio, and yeah. he was like, yeah. I started as a writer, you know, like a couple days, and then they were like, we need a new, a new host. They had a guy that was hosting, and... They kind of want to use him more as a correspondent. And we're doing this thing. Sports is sports comedy, kind of new. And boom. So then That's I did two that point for lead. Two-point lead. Did that for a year. And that was that has been the highlight of my career so far. Why awesome. Do, why would you say that? I mean, I mean, I sat down with Marcus Allen, Marshall Falk, Steph Marbury, you know, uh, Gronk, 
um, just able to meet athletes, you know, people who are actually great, mm-hmm. like unequivocally, uh, beyond subjective, uh, interpretation. You know, they're just, they're great. They're, right. to think about how great they are is kind of mind blowing when you think about how many people play sports and then how hard it is to get to division one and then how hard it is to become a pro, how good you gotta be. And then to become the best and then to become the best of the best. I mean, it's like the ultimate pyramid where you're dealing with like, you know, I sat down with Jerry Rice. I was sitting there interviewing Jerry Rice, who's like pretty unanimously considered the greatest football player of all time. And you're just sitting there with someone who's accomplished such a high level of great. And you feel it. I mean, it's something that you actually feel. You can, you're just staring at it. And it, it's a different level of person. Most people are just fucking so dispensable. <laughs> We're all just interchangeable nothings. So it was cool to sit down with some of these heroes, you know? Where where do you think you are? You know, you just mentioned the pyramid of, of the pinnacle of sports. Where do you feel you are on the comedy pyramid right now? Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, I think you got to judge it by, you know, sort of the levels. You know, there's like the half hour. I mean, I don't, creatively, I always think I'm at the bottom, you know? Um, and, I, you know, creatively, I just always see myself as there's so, so always so far to go creatively. But... As far as the actual structure of the pyramid in comedy, it's like, you know, you do the half hour and um, then you put an album out or you do a special. So I'm at that level where hopefully the hour special is coming next because right. I have an album out and I have a half hour. And, and then from there, I don't know what's going to happen. But, I mean, you just talked about how the being with the elite athletes and how there's so many people who who start out playing sports as kids and how few get up the, up the ranks. That's, that's kind of what's happening in comedy too, yeah. especially with this boom. There's so many people. It's actually in, it's in getting ridiculous. Comedy are saying they're in comedy. Yeah, it's getting ridiculous. But the amount of people who actually are at Division One comedy professionals, and the people who are actually Hall of Famers, it's still a it's still rarefied air. That's a great that's a great uh, analogy. Yeah, I guess that's right. Maybe maybe I'm a Division One or two player. Mm-hmm. Maybe Division three. <laughs> I'm playing ball. I'm playing college. You know, you're on the team with yeah. the uh, with the All Stars. It's always strange to me when a younger comic knows who I am. So that I, that's a perfect way to look at where I am. Is that I'm still shocked when like a younger comic is like you know freaked out to meet me or like I'm like that's weird. Right. So I'm I guess it's new like. They're like, oh, I love your stuff. I'm like, it just that feels weird. So I'm right. still where that feels weird. So I don't know. Maybe that's that's where I'm but at. But then you're really good buddies with Nate Bargatze. Yeah, I mean, he's taking. Who's off. on the rise? I just I and use that as a credit that <laughs> I know him. <laughs> you know, and you're you're at the, the stand in places like that all the time where huge people come in. Yeah. So it's like you're. I'm a working comic. You're, you know? in the, you're in the game. You're on the team. I'm a working comic, and uh, I I I have an awareness that I am versatile. I know that. There's not a lot of comics who um, do can do what I do, have mm-hmm. done the spectrum, like do that spectrum. I think in some ways that's kind of hurt my career. It's obviously helped my career um, in a grassroots type of way. But I think it's also kind of hurt me because I'm, I've been in so many different places doing different things that I haven't been like pinpointed. You know, I haven't stayed in one place long enough to sort of, you know, uh, to be found, you know, or to be like focused in on. So... But I'm also kind of into that. I dig that. I dig that I'm getting this sort of wealth of experience, you know, hosting shows and doing characters, performing those characters live for for a full show, you know. 
doing doing 30, 40 minutes as another person live, you know, and, and jokes as somebody else and uh, doing it live and making it work somehow and learning how to do that. You know, hopefully this will all culminate into something where I can bring it all together, which kind of seems to be my career just really seems to be step by step. It's like, you know, if I miss a step, the comedy gods force me to go back and, and do and do that step that I missed. So I'm I'm not one of these guys who's has taken off and I'm not going to take off. It's just going to be boop, boop, just one step at a fucking time. Well, then uh, who has been who's been good about giving you advice or or has there been anything you've read or seen that's become, kind of kind of helped guide you as you try to figure out what the next step is for I've you? gotten a lot of great advice from a lot of different people. Sometimes it comes in, in from the most unexpected people. I was talking to Monroe Martin, who's a younger comic than yeah. me, who has told me he looks up to me in a certain way because he's just younger. But, I mean, he's a beast of a comic. And he was just saying some stuff the other day that I learned. I was like, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And um, so I've I've learned a lot from a lot of different comics. Um, obviously, for me, uh, I just I look up to just the career Burr has, Bill Burr has, and yeah. I've become friends with him. And um, he's he, he always has great advice because he seems to have the career trajectory that maybe mine seems to be on. In that, you know, it, it's just all kind of self generated and, and grassroots and just a fan base and. And, um, you know, not really being a paid, paid attention to that much and just have to sort of grind and work for everything, which I'm fine with, you know. It's, um, I'm just happy to be, uh, you know, working. Right. And, um, so yeah, he said some great stuff and, um, he, he has this thing about sticking with it. And I've noticed that that's something that, like I'd mentioned before earlier in this podcast, I have not done. I was early in on podcasts <laughs> and all this stuff and I, uh, the characters, I kind of stopped doing the characters for a while. Yeah. Um, and was just doing stand-up, 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 which in retrospect I'm okay with too because I was focusing on that. But maybe I should have stuck with more shit because he obviously sticks with shit. I mean he did his podcast and he stuck with it every week, same time, boom, and and it's it's paid paid off. Well, it's him. called Monday Morning Podcast. Monday morning. <laughs> he's got to do it. I, you know what? That's probably like if you if we would have built It Could Be Better, my Nate's and Chris's podcast, mm -hmm. with like a name that forced us to do it. Because we were so irregular with it. It was like a joke. Okay. Yeah, it was crazy. So would that be uh, your advice if one of these kids recognizes you and comes up to you and asks you for advice? First of, all, first of all, be honest. I mean, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Like, if you don't have any talent, like, just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Like, why, why are you going to put yourself through that? You know how hard it is to make it? You know, we're all going to get to a point where we're like mid-40s. You know, any company or whatever. America is a harsh place. Even if you look in the corporate structure, you get into like the mid forties, fifties. You can look around and see who like the oldest guy at the clubs is. That's kind of where it ends. So it's like there's a handful of people that surpass that and right. make it to the next level where age doesn't really matter. But um, almost everyone else, even if you have like a little pop here and there, it's gonna end like the wrestler, you know, the movie. So it's like if you don't have any talent, why why are you, why are you doing it? I mean, I've seen a lot of people who are just not that funny on stage. But they're excellent writers or whatever. So that's cool. If you do comedy for a little while and then learn that you're, then be a comedy writer, you know, or, um, do both. I mean, whatever. But you have some talent. I see a lot of people, you just see them on stage and you're like, I, I don't know why you're doing this, man. Maybe it's a family thing. Like you, you got a hole in your soul like the rest of us, but that's only part of it. You got to have some sort of je ne sais quoi. There got to be a reason people want to stare at you 
and fucking talk. We're not singing. We're not dancing. There has to be a strong charisma or some reason. Otherwise, you're just really time raping people. It is time rape. You're taking their time and you're raping them. They're sitting there and they're being raped by you. <laughs> not, you know. I mean, you're time raping. So it's like, but, but my advice would be, um, stick with it, man. That's, yeah. that, that, that's the general theme. And you're one of the best things I've ever heard. And I can't even remember who told it to me was like, you're never as good as your best set and you're never as bad as your worst. So like, this is a very bipolar, uh, business. Right. And it's so unstable and it's so hard on your self esteem that like, don't make it harder than it already is by like beating yourself up when you have a bad set. You never learn from the good sets. That's when you should be relieved. And don't fucking celebrate them like an amateur. Act like you've fucking been there before. You did your job. You were funny. Don't go off high-fiving or go home thinking you're fucking Eddie Murphy. You're not. You had a good set. Everyone has a good set. <laughs> you're going to have a bad one. Just don't get too high. Don't mm -hmm. get too low. Just like, just stick with it and get better. Mm -hmm. And respect, this, respect the craft, man. It's always stronger than you. It's so you, you're, you're, a bomb is right around the corner. So just stay humble with it and keep working. Stick with it. Well, Giannis, thanks for sticking with it. And, uh, you know, this was, this was definitely all highs and, uh, I fully consented to this entire interview. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks. I hope I didn't time rape you. No, it was, okay, no, okay. this was good. It was good. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> I wouldn't fucking, all right. <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Thanks, John. Yeah. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.